It's time for Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Now, settle down and listen up. It's time for Lax Class. Good lacrosse fans, you found us once again right here in the home of Lacrosse Classified, Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network for EP 183 of Lax Class. Jake Elliott, Brad Challoner with you, and a jam packed episode is on deck. We got a lot to talk about on this coming episode, so let's not waste any more time. Brad, welcome back to Lax Class. How's it going? How was the weekend? Uh, you were in Calgary again. You got the tap. <laughs> I got it. A- Midweek tap, quick, quick turnaround. Uh, when it uh, just went, went in for the day, like flew in day of. Oh, game. really? Not I even. I stayed night the night before. though. Left for oh, no, I left first thing the next morning. But okay. that was my first like travel game day. I think that's what refs do. Believe it or not, year. I think they go in day of. Did I'm pretty sure Chris Williams refed the Friday night game and the Saturday night game. Yep. Fact check me here, but I I know my brain's all scrambling, but I'm pretty sure he was in Calgary and then he was in San Diego. Yeah. So that would make that would make sense to me. Yeah. There was the double header we did mid season, but yeah, that was my first like travel, the getting at the top till it didn't confirm it officially till like Wednesday morning and then had to be on a flight on uh on Friday. But glad I got to I thought my season was done after the final Calgary Colorado game. And then because the, the first round of playoffs was local local webcast mm-hmm. games, except for the TSN game. And then um, Ryan Ballantyne was out of town. Hey, do you want to come to Calgary? Hell what yeah, I want to come to Calgary. Doing leaving town in playoff time. Confidential, actually. Oh. I am not at liberty to say. I can just say that. Um, yeah, that's that's classified, all I can say. if you will. It is classified information. Um, but yeah, it was a treat to go back into Calgary and yeah, fly in morning of, and just basically like all the game day routine as a broadcast is kind of thrown out the window. Like Teddy and I had a lunch routine in Calgary. Then there's the nap and the walk and everything that all got thrown out. It was like land straight to the hotel, check in, iron the suit and head to the rink. So it was a quick turnaround, but, and, and you know, a, a interesting game, like the fan support, it was really quick to sell tickets in Calgary. As you saw jumbo, I think there's only like 7,000 people there yeah. after the 15, five they put in on Saturday. So that kind of sucked the energy out of the building a little bit. I know Pat Coyle talked a lot during the week that he wanted to take the crowd out of it. I'm not sure Needed to. that's exactly what that's what he meant literally <laughs> yeah. and figuratively. Yeah. Probably not. No, but it was just your classic Calgary, Colorado back and forth. Not really any big runs, physical scrappy game until Colorado kind of just stepped on their throat in the fourth quarter and went on a bit of a run and their offense just looked really, really good. They were getting inside and, and they finally, yeah, they shut down. I don't want to say slay the dragon. Well, yeah, it was, it was a weird one. Like trying to think after the game, Curtis Dixon was, was in his spots where he was shooting and scoring from the week prior, but it was like when he was getting those areas on this game, he was looking to dump off. He was going over to Tanner cook on the far side or looking for Kinger or looking for anybody except for taking that shots. Even though the message the week before was shoot, shoot, shoot. And he had 15 shots on goal and six goals yeah. and five of them coming from the outside. So it looked like there was a lot of dishing going on, a lot of unselfishness and it ended up 
sort of maybe backfiring on on the Calgary Roughnecks who dropped this game and their season's over. Yeah, visibly emotional too for Curtis Dixon. You have to kind of think maybe that might have been his last game as a Calgary Roughneck being an unrestricted free agent. Kind of looked like that to me on the turf and I'm not making any decisions for him, but just kind of got that feeling the way he hung around and just kind of soaked it all in at the end. So uh, Calgary out Colorado moving on we'll talk a little bit more about that but uh what about the rest of the weekend you got the kids playing any lacrosse uh I checked out some lacrosse this weekend it was Brad I got back into Queens Park this weekend for the Dorothy Robertson tournament Danny's girl was playing and I know there's like tons of got like Robbie Williams had his girls playing I saw uh Mitch Jones hanging around watching his niece Taylor who's on the team as well there's tons of guys with daughters that are in this tournament I think it's fantastic it's an all-girls tournament there in the U.S. split between Moody Park and Queens Park but to get back in Queens Park and just kind of sit in the barn and watch some lacrosse man it felt good it felt so good yeah healing right no I haven't been out I haven't been out yet. I'm waiting for the junior A Islanders and the pioneers to fire it up so I can walk down the street and, and check it out in my own backyard. But it was my, my birthday week. Oh, so I did a, I miss it? You did. Yeah. I didn't oh, get a text man. this year. Sorry, buddy. When not, was not, it? That when, I'm, May 5th? not that I'm thinking, not that I'm thinking about that at all. Uh, no, the fourth, fourth, May fourth. Sorry, man. Birthday's on the fourth. So I'll put it in my it calendar. Me. I got it. No, get it in there. Even tall, the branch texted me. I don't oh, know. Uh, shit. You know, sorry man i I, you're not on that's how i keep track of my my birthdays is facebook that's how i keep track of my birthdays but now i gotta put yours in my my phone so i never forget my wife my wife tells me when it's your birthday because i'm not on facebook she'll say oh it's so-and-so's birthday day better shoot him a text okay thanks there you go thanks honey um, but yeah, I watched the, we had a little birthday party on saturday night and watched the kentucky derby and Uh threw some jumbo bucks down on on the ponies and watched uh, Rich Strike come from unranked during the day to winning the the biggest upset in Derby 80, history. Eighty to one. They were like the Panther City Lacrosse Club of the Kentucky Derby this year. Had Panther City made a run and got to the postseason, it was just un, unreal. But it's always a fun, always a fun show. The best the two Derby. minutes in sports, they call that, or the best two minutes in no, television. No, they call it, they call it the longest the longest two minutes in television because it's like a 90 minute, two hour broadcast for a two minute. Oh, it's way longer than 90 minutes. They go way longer than that. Well, they do pre-races and then like the pre-show and Jack Harlow was there and some celebrities were there from Kentucky and we drank mint juleps and ate ribs and watch the post. What about mother's day? Happy mother's day to all the mothers out there, by the way. Uh, Always a tough day for yours, truly not having my mother around anymore, but um, you know, to be, just being out in the lacrosse rink on Mother's Day and all the mothers, and like the entire families were coming out for this. And again, Brad, just warm the, the cockles deep down, seeing kids, parents, grandparents, brothers, sisters, all packed in the arena watching their their loved ones play. Lacrosse is back here in BC, and I couldn't be happier about it. Yeah, and and no one and there were lots of tournaments on Mother's Day. We had a we had a baseball game on Sunday morning, but like not canceled for Mother's Day. So, but it's nice to see all the parents out there slugging out. And playoff hockey's on, man. Like, you know, I was thinking about this this week. Of all the major sports, NLL included, mm. what sport elevates? 
the pace of play oh, as much from regular season to play. Like, talking, it's insane. Uh, second place It's insane close. the level that they jump. And I know lacrosse is different because we only play once a week. Yeah. And every weekend is like a playoff game. It goes right? so up the, a bit, but not not like hockey after an 80-game regular season. Like it goes – lacrosse goes up one, two, three levels. Hockey goes up like 10. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Cause I know there was a couple, like there was some, like the Halifax Toronto game, probably the oh. most entertaining game of the weekend based on the swings. But yeah, some of the games just felt like, okay, this could have happened in March, but not that they weren't intense games. There just isn't that jump when you're watching, you know, I, I haven't watched a flip. I would never put a gun to my head to watch a flames stars game in January. Throw some but here I am watching zero, zero. It's the elevation is uh, the elevation is crazy, but it was playoff weekend in the National Lacrosse League, and we did get some dandies. Why don't we start? Uh, why don't we start Inter- in Toronto, yeah, man. where they were cruising to a nine-three lead at halftime, and Halifax just goes down absolutely guns a blazing to chip away, fight back, open up a five-goal run in the fourth quarter to take the lead. Huh. And it ends up going to overtime, and one of the best players on earth puts the game on ice. Yeah, how about it from Challen Rogers? Uh, the bear, the breakaway Barry. But I, I thought at halftime this game was dead and buried, and they put up a ten spot in that second half. And how about the save? Like the end of regulation was just wild, absolutely wild. Like Halifax takes the lead. Pretty late. Toronto ties it, but the momentum was still clearly with the Thunderbirds. And what did they have? Like three chances at the end of that game. Stevie Keogh absolutely robbed by Nick Rowe sitting on his backside to preserve the tie. They actually score a goal, but they review it. They sync up the clock with the ball crossing the line. And what was it? Probably like 0.4, 0.5 too late from a buzzer beater win for the Halifax Thunderbirds who were oh so close. But I tweeted out after this game that what we saw between Toronto and Halifax literally epitomized what lacrosse in the National Lacrosse League is all about. This game had everything in it. Big runs, momentum swings, crazy saves, highlight reel goals, skill off the charts, Sign me up for more of this, and and man, I wish these two teams could play more because it was entertaining as hell. I don't know how many times this season watched maybe a game out of one eye, or you scoreboard watching while you're doing something else, or watching two games at once, and you're like, it. Even if it's a nine three deficit at halftime, and we saw it twice in Vancouver this year against the Colorado Mammoth, like no game is over by any stretch at any time. And that's what's made the league absolutely, and that's lacrosse in general, but I think specifically so this season in the National Lacrosse League, that the no, lead is, no lead is safe, no deficit is too, sm- no deficit is too small. Um, you're, yeah, you're right. TSN Game Week, I think the boys know that. And they, they, they and every game, I think, on the TSN Game of the Week has been a one or two goal game. There's only a couple of blows, but they were entertaining blows. It was like the Toronto-San Diego game. Mm-hmm. Everything Fight else fast. has been tight yeah. and been an unreal showcase and that game probably the game of the weekend i'd say as far as the playoff games 
do go just based on that monumental run where you could not look away because you didn't know what was going to wow. happen next. Warren Hill gets pulled again. Aaron Bold comes in. Man, was he emotional after that one as well. Which, you know, just plagued Halifax down the stretch. And how about the, the speech that they captured on video from Cody Jamison after that thing was over? You want to talk about future head coaches in this league? There's one right there in Cody Jamison who just poured out his heart to that locker room. Man, that it was just... That made me emotional watching that, just knowing how tough that was on him and that, that team who just couldn't find a way at the at the very end of the game to try and win that thing. And credit Tyson and the Halifax Thunderbirds media team for allowing and the, player, it. the players in that room, Yeah, I think most of all, for allowing that. Because we've seen Jammer having some fun with the cameras this year. And may, I think sometimes he likes it and sometimes he doesn't. And for to that situation to not care that it's there in your face, like that is, that is huge growth, That's a huge behind the curtains. Look yeah. BTS look at the national lacrosse league. So thank you to Jammer for being that open. Thank you for that inspiring speech. Everyone got to see. And then for Kurt and Tyson and Micah Kersey, everyone who's allowed that curtain to be lifted up for the Halifax Sunbirds. Like what a year. You know, we'll, we'll talk about them later about sort of unfinished potential, but unfinished business, they're going to have to reprint the t-shirts or say something different next year because they thought really that this was their year. And I don't know how open their window is going to be with a lot of their veteran pieces. Yeah. yeah I think they right. felt like this was the year that they had to win. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Calgary Roughnecks, Colorado Mammoth, fourth meeting of the season. Absolutely no surprises of these two teams. And like I said earlier, your classic sort of slug fest early on back and forth. No one went on a more than a two goal run. Um, but what Colorado has been different as far as this one in 10 playoff record heading into this game, the consistency for Calgary during that run, for the most part, Kurt Malowski and Curtis Dickinson, a brilliant strategist and one of the best goal scorers of all time. Colorado's had a great defense, a great goaltender throughout the years. What they didn't have until now is this high-flying offense. And the combination of Lee, Robinson, and McLaughlin with the secondary guys that they have was, was too much at the end of the day. And if this offense is going the way that they were going on Friday night, look out San Diego. Connor Robinson has – he should be the breakout player of the year. After watching – I, I think I made the wrong selection in our Flash Awards. I think Connor Robinson is the breakout player of the year. What a performance he had. And I think that's he's been the missing ingredient in that offense in Colorado. And his injection into it has just changed the whole dynamic completely. Like, we knew Ryan Lee was going to take another step. Eli's always going to do his thing. Wardle is the ultimate grinder. Yeah, they add Zed. I don't know if they've gotten quite what they expected out of him. They trade for Tyson Gibson. He's been okay. But Connor Robinson just lit it up all year long and has found instant chemistry with those guys. And you're right. Now they have they're – well, they're a well-balanced team from goaltending, transition – defense and offense now they're going to be a real tough out the rest of the way here and for calgary I met, sorry Brad, I, go met, ahead. I met connor's parents in the hotel because oh. they were lingering in the lobby with mammoth jerseys on i mm. said hey are you guys fans or you got someone on the team they said it over connor robinson's parents i'm like oh my like, what a year yeah the kid's having and his dad was like just needed to play man he just yeah. needed the opportunity and 
exactly what exactly what he was given in Colorado. And what it's done too is because he's such an outside snipe, it's opened up things for Eli McLaughlin inside. He's like he's such Liger can shoot too, but he's such a good crease finisher mm-hmm. and in tight finisher that it's added that, that extra weapon on that side of the floor. And they've all had career years this year with Ryan Leaf feeding them from from the other side. And just quickly on Calgary, I I thought with the roster that they had, they were going to struggle this year. I kind of picked them to miss the playoffs right out of the gates, just kind of looking at all the changes that had happened there. But Kerbalowski and the job that he did with that young club, letting those guys progress, fighting some early season struggles, getting them into the playoffs and, and playing some of their best lacrosse. And he said it right in, in the press conference. By the way, that press conference was something else. I don't know who this Todd guy is. But he's lucky he didn't get a, a microphone chucked at him with the line of questioning he was coming at mouse with. And I applauded him for restraining. He still, he got his point across that he didn't really appreciate that kind of line of questioning from a guy that I think he has a bit of a history with. But I'm not sure I would have controlled myself as well as Kurt did in that situation. But just a, a fantastic job from Kurt Belowski and that Roughnecks organization for the job that, that he did with that group to, to pull them along and get them to where they got to this season. I think it's only going up in Calgary moving forward here. Yeah. And we'll, I got a Twitter poll question. We'll talk about in a, in a couple of minutes, but a lot of those points we'll make then, but he was getting the most out of his young guys and guys that are coming up into the lineup and just what, how important, a full-time Tyler pace was to that lineup yep. Yep. and for Curtis Dixon's development as, as a two man guy, like he's, wasn't just his feedings gotten better. He's always gonna be able to score goals, but he thinks that he's most improved in his two man game. And that's all Tyler pace, a guy that he rooms with a guy that he works out with a guy that he's a business partner with off the floor. It's just unreal chemistry. And we'll, we'll see if that's enough to lure Superman back to Calgary because that really opened up a new part of their offense. And then, you talk about breakout players of the year. I did give a vote on the flash awards to Jesse King. Cause I think technically, even though we've known what he can bring, he broke out more than yeah. other players. He's too good. Like, to we know who Jesse King player. is, but I call him a breakout player because yeah. now he's the number one option on a left side offense for the first time in his career. And he finishes up with like 95 points in the top 10 in the league scoring like that. That's a breakout. If you go from being a 60 point guy, being injured, not being in the, in the lineup, missing a season here and there to come out and do what he just did. That to me classifies as, as breakout. Okay. I'll give, I'll give it to you. I'm not going to argue with you over it. I want you to argue with me. No, I, I just, I've known Jesse too long and seen him play too many lacrosse games to not consider him elite. So to have, I can say the same thing about Connor Robinson, like all that guys, he's only ever scored goals. He just needed quite a bit younger opportunity to do it quite a bit younger, less games played. I'll, I'll give him that. But yeah, like we've, we've, we've both had the pleasure of watching these guys since they were in. Yeah. We're lucky that way. They uh not surprising anybody west of the Mississippi. <laughs> Let's skip off to Banditland, which is not west of the Mississippi. I don't think anyway. Bandits and Firewolves, a low, low scoring. Holy. Like on pace for the lowest scoring first half in playoff history. Lowest scoring playoff game of all time, by the way, eleven goals. Yeah. Almost I thought happened. it was gonna be the I thought it was the Calgary Colorado game from 2019 where they only scored 12 combined, but 11 
has happened before. But yeah, Firewolves Bandits, low scoring first half, two world-class goaltenders going head-to-head, the old and the new, I guess you could say. Um, but Priolo does a great job shutting down Joe Reseteric, who's really the engine of that offense. And Albany only musters five goals, which is not going to get it done in a playoff game. No, I, this game to me had underwritten all over it out of the out of the gates here from the get-go. And I didn't think it was going to be that low, but Dougie and, and Vino stole the show. But it was still entertaining as heck for me compared to like a pitcher's duel. When two guys are in the zone like that, there was still grade A glorious opportunities to score goals in that game, but the goalies were just better. And I'm okay with that. I love watching a good goaltending duel. And Dougie and, and Vino put on a show in this one, and I I really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, it didn't lack entertainment at all. And I said last week that I thought if the Firewolves could keep this like in a 8-9-10, like a 10-8 a game or an 11-9 game, that it would suit them well. But you can't get it done when you're only scoring five goals. No, so it was impressive right. too many, as they too many were. Pastors. And two empty netters, right? Two yeah. empty netters. So yeah. this was really a, an 8-5 game. Yeah, but- they got nothing from Rue, Banesh, Q. Like O'Connor played well, but they just didn't get enough production out of their entire offense and virtually nothing in transition either. And The not penalty be- shot was a big turning point too, right? Yeah. Like I think it was a two-goal game, two or three-goal game at that point. And if Benny buries that penalty Good shot, catch, boys, yeah. things were going to be a lot closer and you get some momentum, but they were just never able to get it back in that second half. And as good as Buffalo's offense is, their defense really showed up. And Matt Vince in a, in a one-and-done playoff game, good luck. <laughs> So the bandits are moving on. And then we go to the wild card game, the wings and the seals at Pachanga. Another one that went back and forth was close, was a good goaltending battle again, but the Philadelphia wings just have struggled to score goals all season long. Even when the seals offense wasn't doing great, the wings only muster eight goals yeah, in a playoff game. You're not winning. I, I shouldn't say you're not winning a playoff game if you don't get to 10 because San Diego did exactly that. But what is the, I heard him throw out Cooper, put throw out the stat on the broadcast of Philadelphia's record when they scored 10 or more or when they were nine and below. And it was startling to see those numbers that they were, I think winless when they didn't hit the 10 goal mark. And that yeah, and they also had a, Five and zero in overtime. So in the one goal games that they won, five and zero in overtime. But the regulation one goal losses were substantial too. So there's a lot of just a couple goals away from being a completely different team for the Philadelphia Wings. Speaking of couple of goals, good time to get your first two National Lacrosse League goals of your career. Patrick Shume with a two spot. <laughs> third star honors shows up in the playoff time when it matters most uh, for the local kid two genos and that really helps san diego to a win you're trying to spoil you just spoiled my stallion so i'm gonna have to go find something else oh, in the next well, uh, two hey, minutes here thank, when, thank when you, you get a standout much. performance i didn't you, you didn't give me the heads up on that so you can't expect me to just know those sort of things and let's give uh, Big Frankie a little kudos here as well as as well as Zach Higgins played 59 shots, nine goals, so 50 saves for him. Frankie just behind him with 44 stops on 52 shots. And again, similar to Albany, Philadelphia 
gets zero production out of McIntosh, Crowley, and Small. Rambo was good, and not much else after that in the offensive department for the Wings. And tough to win like that. Kyle Matisse chipped in a couple power play goals. Trevor Baptiste was doing his thing in the faceout dot, but you just can't have that many passengers on your offense in a game like that. No, Kyle Jackson, I think, has fit into that lineup. I think he's been a good, quick-moving addition there. And then I thought there was a play where Blaze Reardon looked like he did in overtime a week ago. I think there's about 90 seconds left, and he split a double, got underneath, crashed the crease, and that would have been the tying goal, um, and it would have been a Reardon individual effort again. But I think that was Frankie's probably best save and most timely save of the night when it mattered yeah. the most. And they walk with it. And credit, credit the Seals. I, I tweeted this out this week. It's the first time since 2013, Jumbo, that it's not going to be the Calgary Roughnecks or the Edmonton slash Saskatchewan Rush. That's representing Seals the Seals' first West. playoff win ever, I believe. Right? The Washington, yeah, it was. The Washington Stealth were the last team not named Roughnecks or Rush to represent the West. Wow. And it's Colorado, San Diego now in the Western Conference Final. So I'm calling the Govet Bowl. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he'll love that. It, he'll love that. It, it means a lot for I think lacrosse in in the U.S. I think it'll help for Colorado to have a couple another playoff game and a home playoff game at that, and a chance for one of these teams to go to the final. I think that's going to sort of tickle the imagination of two cities and two teams that really do a lot in their local markets to invigorate those franchises. And Steve Govett talked about it. I think maybe on, on some podcasts. I don't know if it was off the crossbar or, or the Seals pod, but he mentioned that 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 Calgary and Saskatchewan, he mentioned more about the Eastern teams, your Toronto's and, and Buffalo's and Rochester's always representing the East because they live in that, they play in that horseshoe where you can practice midweek and, and you have that advantage. And I think Saskatchewan and Calgary, for that matter, have had a bit of an advantage of that over the years too, where there's so many Calgary players or so many BC players that aren't traveling very far and that's helped them and given them a bit of a leg up this year, we see more people living in Denver on that team than ever before. San Diego has really made an investment in having guys in market. And I don't think it's a surprise now that we're seeing these two teams where they are with more players living in the markets of those two cities. Yeah. hundred percent makes a difference. And I think every team should be taking notes on this and, and trying to make that sort of thing happen for their organization if they can, because I, I really believe it, it matters and makes a difference when it gets to this time of the season. So matchups are set here. It's Toronto and Buffalo. It's San Diego and Colorado. Which essentially were the top four yeah, teams like at the end of the all day, season long. Yeah. Like Calgary came on at the end. Halifax started strong and tapered off. But like there's there's not I don't think there's there wasn't a really an underdog or an upset in that first no, didn't round. Didn't you call both four thought, seeds winning too? That take didn't go over too well. I didn't call that. I think Pat Greg no who called someone called Pat Gregoire called that. And Shame I said you. we're possible, but I didn't put my money on that. My take a couple of weeks ago was that the that the NLL championship goes through the West. Uh, so I still think whoever represents the West is going to win the NLL championship. Well, I think at the beginning of the year, I picked San Diego and Buffalo to meet in the finals. That's still possible, but I don't necessarily think that's what's going to happen. So we'll save that for, for quarter four when Evan comes on. Uh, but well, maybe we won't, maybe we should get into some playoff previews or you want to do head for the stables first. <laughs> 
All right, Stampede Stables, here we go. How about <laughs> this week? Just how about first strike as oh, yeah. who wins the Kentucky Derby and then that. just cannot calm down afterwards and gets punched in the face by his trainer? Like, congratulations, you just made the life of your yeah. your owners and your jockey and everybody Millions else around you. And then you just you know, poor poor first strike was going crazy and gets punched in the face. That's a stallion for you right there. <laughs> I didn't see that. I don't know if I want to see that, but that's they know what they're doing though. I mean, sometimes it's I guess you gotta you gotta grab the reins and do your thing. Uh by the way, Stampede Stallions of the Week brought to you by Stampede Tack and Western Wear. Nothing more classic than the Storm Rider jean jacket lined. It is the best. Corduroy collar. Classic Storm Rider styling has become one of the most popular jean jackets of all time. Perfect for year-round use, camping, working. Head on out there to Cloverdale, Highway 10, 180th. They've been there since 1966. Storm Rider. Good jean jacket. Shop online. It's still shopping local. Stampede.ca. We thank Stampede Tack and Western Wear. Stallions of the Week. Apparently, I stole yours and, and Patrick Shoemade. Did you manage to come up with a new one? Yeah, I'll call an audible here. Uh, I'm going to Buffalo. I'm going 14 loose balls and a goal and an assist. A couple penalty minutes. Cause turnover. A block. Three block shots. Steve Priolo. Great. And more so for what he did. Like John Tavares was talking about this after the game, but the way that he they gave him the rest of Terrence matchup and they neutralized him. And Priola did such a good job with him one one on one, ends up contributing all over the floor. Still that that other voice next to Matt Vince every time a goal scored, they're looking up at the jumbotron and ask Steve Dietrich about that in a few minutes. Um, but he was he was their best defender and when it mattered again, when it mattered the most in, in playoff time, and Steve Priola's played had an unreal Season maybe an under the radar yeah. season compared to some of the other performances. Well, in and out, and st- right? Statistically, he's injured for a bit. Yep. Yeah, but he's still when it. Ma- I keep saying this. Take a drink every time I say when it matters the most. But in a big game like that, Steve Priolo comes up big, and he was a noticeable defenseman, which John Tavares said after the game. Which again, like if you if you're not getting your name called, you're probably doing a good foundational job as a D guy. If but the Priolo playoffs was all over the floor today, and he was jumping out. Yeah. If the playoffs started today. <laughs> well, listen, the, the other thing that makes Priolo so effective is getting the ball out of his own zone. He is not afraid to take any kind of guy one-on-one and just beat him with his legs and, and his body and then doesn't panic when he gets up there in the offensive zone. We'll take an offensive rep here and there and get a little greasy and bang some bodies around, but he just never turns the ball over. And, and that really helps his game as well. So I like Steve Priolo. Nice selection there. I need to balance things out here, but not so much in the West, but I got to pick a Toronto Rock player here. And I was kind of flip-flopping between Mitch Disnew because I the impact that he had on that game, yeah, he had a couple of goals and a bunch of loose balls and stuff. But again, similar to Priolo, just takes on the big matchup and just causes havoc out there on the defensive end for the Rock. He and Latrell Harris, my word. 
But I'm not going Disnew. I'm not going Harris. I'm going Nick Rose. Back to the goalie union here, Brad. He could have easily just folded up in this game when the run started happening here for Halifax, and they tied it up. They even took the lead. Toronto had to come back and tie it again with Schreiber. But that last sequence in regulation and then some key stops in overtime as well. A lot of pressure on Nick Rose in that Toronto net at home. Playoff game. Stares down one, two, three shots at the buzzer. Absolutely robbed Stephen Keogh, who even like corkscrewed it and put it to the right side of the goal to score. And he just got beat with a better stop from Rose. He... Throwing out F-bombs at the get pumping up the crowd in the, the, the victory lap. Fun stuff to watch. And you know Rock City loves Rosie, and Rosie loves Rock City. And now, I think he's back in the stable. I think this might be the second time for Nicholas Rose joining the Stampede Stable. Well, he was, before we made this a weekly award, when we were during the pandemic, we gave him, our stallions were going to a, a career body of work. And he was one of the recipients there, one of the only goaltenders that I think we uh, crowned a official stallion right. before it became a weekly well, speaking award. But he is the captain of Rock Nation. He's yeah. playing his best lacrosse down the stretch here. And he's really, we talked to Jamie Dobick last week, like what's the difference between this Rock team and the Rock teams of the past? And like, so it's working for Nick Rose right now. And he's been on a goaltender of the year like tear and it's showing. And he's going to go head to head with the best to ever do it in back-to-back games in the next two weekends, and I am here for it. Yeah. By the way, we got uh, we got called out. Well, maybe I just got called. My former junior teammate in, in Shane Voodoo Budnick said, what's going on with the Stallions? You guys just picking the first star from the game for the Stallions now? And I said, no, no. I said, you know, back when we were doing this, it was, you know, about a guy's entire career of work. But now that we're in season, we got to pick guys. And it's not always the first star. Like, we've picked a lot of D guys and goalies and transition guys. But when a guy has a performance like an eight-goal night or something, you got to recognize this. So the criteria for the Stallion in season has changed a little bit. So I had to explain that to Voodoo. All right, uh, Stallions are done. What do you got? I've got a poll question that I put out oh, on yeah, Twitter. Right this week and we'll kick it off now we're going to talk to evan about it later on in the fourth quarter as well but i asked of the teams eliminated over the weekend calgary halifax philadelphia albany whose window is open to go further in 2023 which of those four teams can take a step forward and which of these teams this was their window this year and it's only going to go downhill from here calgary halifax philadelphia albany yeah, for, Elliott, for, yeah, for me, it's between Albany and Calgary, just because I think they have the most young pieces as far as their core goes and, and good foundational goaltenders in Jamison and Del Bianco. I think that's the real key. When you got a young goalie, and both these guys have many, many years ahead of them, and they're already legit top flight starting goaltenders in the league. Yes, Calgary may lose Curtis Dixon. But that might not necessarily be the worst thing for that franchise because I think it's going to spread that ball out a little more. And all these guys that got experience this year are going to be that much better and more prepared coming into next season. I think Albany might be a step ahead in that regard. I think there's a little bit more maturity and guys that now have two and three years under their belt. But I think the ceiling 
maybe a little higher in Calgary for me. How about you? I, I picked Calgary as going the furthest for all those reasons. Young stud goaltender, young rookies that are getting lots of touches this year and are going to be better next season. The the Dixon piece does concern me a little bit, but Calgary's a place where people want to play. And if they don't bring him in with new blood, maybe there's another free agent signing that can fill that hole. And I'm not super convinced that Curtis Dixon is going anywhere either. No, either am I. Kurt, just speculation. Kurt I know, but just for the people listening, like Kurt Malowski has coached this guy since he was about 11 years old and novice. And from all accounts, likes playing in Calgary, yeah, there's been contract headbutting i think the last couple of years but he's the franchise player now and there's not another guy on that roster that you need to or need or have to franchise he's the guy that's going to make top bank he's got a team that i think could make another good run next year so if he wants to chase a ring calgary is going to be a better place to do it than vegas or panther city or who well, this is my Eagles concern on his door. i don't know but if you're it depends what the options are going to be well this right? is it i think it's are you is top bank in Calgary the same as top bank in San Diego or Vegas? That's well, my question. No, it's how not. important it's, is it? It's not, but you have to go to now you're crossing, unless you're living down there, mm-hmm. are you crossing a border every week? Is that a pain in the ass for a veteran player? If you're making top is, bank, is, probably is, not. Is, ba- is bank more than chasing a ring? Do you want to go to an expansion team or do you want to try to win when you got a few years left? So I'm not convinced he's completely gone. Me either. So Just we'll see. Clear. Um, I put Halifax almost at the bottom of this list, even though the currently right now they're winning the poll question at 34.5. Mm. I think Halifax is going to have a lot of soul searching and a lot of question marks on how to fix their roster and take this team into the future. Is Warren Hill that guy? Can they find some more depth and their D is okay, but it's, it's on the older end. Like how many is, is Soupy done after this year? And he's been their best defender all season long. I don't know. So I actually think Halifax this was their window this year. And I don't know if they get back. Do they get to, better? To the same do they, so get, do they get better the first year? round next year? I don't think they get better. I think they're going to be good, but do they get better? Uh, yeah. Philly, I think has a lot of soul searching to do they got some as work well to do. on how to improve, improve their offense. Um, and like, I'll, I'll put Albany in second place mm-hmm. as far as the same reasons for Calgary, right? Like young defense, young goaltender, and secondary goal scoring is my issue for the Albany Firewolves. So yeah. of the teams that just got beat out last weekend, I still think Calgary has the best chance of going furthest in 2023, followed by Albany, followed by Philly, followed by Halifax. Check out the poll. Brad tweeted it. Lax Class retweeted it. Uh, cast your vote. And uh, more poll questions coming from Brad Challoner in the summer when he takes a little hiatus, I'm going to say. Let's take a little hiatus here on EP 183 and let's get to quarter number two because we got the defensive coordinator for the Colorado Mammoth coming up next in Andrew McBride. Back on Lax Class after this. This is John Tavares and you're listening to Lacrosse Classified. What's going on, lacrosse fans? Welcome back to Lax Class. As we move into the second quarter of action here on EP 183, Jake Elliott, Brad Challoner, and here in quarter two, it's Rycor Construction. 
If you haven't checked these guys out yet, do so immediately at Rycor Construction Inc. on Facebook and Instagram. www.rycorconstruction.ca. 15 years of experience here in the Lower Mainland. Exterior, interior renovations, they do it all. And they make it stand out at Rycor Construction. This man stood out on the weekend along with his defense of the Colorado Mammoth. It's the coordinator. I don't know what year you're in, you're in a broader. The, the pandemic just makes everything melt into one another here. What, what are you going into? Third year? Fourth year as D coach there in Colorado? Welcome back. You know what? I don't even know. It's like third year, fourth year. We had a strike year for the, my first year. Then we had COVID. So it's, you're right. It all just jumbles together. I don't know. Third or fourth year. All right. Well, it's been pretty impressive uh, what you guys have been able to accomplish. And I, let's just start there in Cowtown, man. Now, you didn't even have to travel for this one, which is nice. I know you had the family out and everything else. But that playoff record, I would have to assume you're probably part of that playoff record that was so heavily skewed towards the Roughnecks. And you finally got over the hump there, beating them in their own barn as well. That one had to feel pretty good for you. It did. I'm excited for the core of guys that's been in Denver a long time, the organization um, and the players and, and the coaches and their ability to, you know, stick to what we think makes us successful and execute a game plan in a tough environment against a team that was probably the hottest team in the league in tough circumstances, but couldn't be happier for the group of guys we have. How much talk in, in your room and in your, maybe even on the Calgary side back in the day, but how we have to blow it up in the media, that lopsided playoff record. Were, were you and Pat Coyle talking about it? Was anybody on the team talking about it at all? I think it's like the monkey on your back. It's human nature to talk about things that are there. These are real facts like you can't hide the record you can't spin it in any other way but I think what our team did a good job of of is embracing that you know taking on the challenge head on not shying away from what the record have been and saying that hey it's your players in the dress room's opportunity to change this we don't need to look outside the dressing room we don't need to worry about what the crowd size is going to be how the referees are going to be it's basically look at yourself in the mirror and being accountable to what makes you a great lacrosse player how we're going to execute our game plan and how we're going to come out and put an end to this. So kudos to the players. That's what they did. They controlled what they controlled and, and took the challenge head on and were able to, to get a win. Can we maybe just get the elephant out of the room here early on in this interview, Andrew? I know a lot has been made on social media and it was picked up on, on television broadcast. <laughs> About the timeout with 12 seconds to go up four goals. I know Kurt did not take too kindly to that, and Pat kind of laughed it off. There was definitely some – these guys won a man cup together in 2001, so I, I'm assuming there's some some pretty heavily mutual respect there. But was it just a situation where Pat was like, I want to make sure we hang on to this ball? Like, what was – I don't want you to climb inside his head, Andrew, but, you know, you were there. What, what was the scenario going on with T.O.? 12 seconds left up for I think I mean obviously everyone has mutual respect for everyone in this league you're you're on a bench you're playing here for a very specific reason and it's because you're a lead at what you do in terms of the timeout yeah I think it's one of those things as coaching you always want to put your team in, in the best situation possible we had the ball sure we were up a few goals but the ball goes to our goalie who knows what kind of compromising position that can be in and if you have a timeout you can use it um, I know they weren't too happy with it but I don't think we're really concerned about what they're doing on their side of the bench. If they're worried about it, fine. That's up to them and they're allowed to feel how they want to feel. 
Um, but it we wasn't had malicious, though, was it, Brider? Like, it didn't feel to me it was no. like a F you, we're winning, we're in your barn, it's been all this talk, and uh, we're going to rub it in a little bit. I think it was just a situation where Pat was like, let's just call time out here and make sure we finish off this game. Well, if you know anything about Pat, he's not a malicious person. He's a very tactical person. He's not someone that's looking to, you know, make the situation worse, to rub it in. That's just not the kind of person he is, and that's not how he operates. So I don't think in for one second it's one of those things you're like, oh, yeah, let's celebrate a little bit more. Let's, you know, really rub this in. It's He saw that our goalie was getting pressured, and he called the timeout. And, you know, in lacrosse, you got timeouts for a reason, and you can use them how you see fit. Um, and I think, you know what, if they're upset about it, it is what it is. I think it's a little hypocritical if you want to get to the he said, she said. Do they need to score in the empty net with Mitch Wild with one second left? No. But do they have every right to do it? Absolutely they do. If we're complaining about it, it's our job to stop it. And at the end of the day, we're professional athletes. We're grown adults. This isn't PWC where everybody gets a medal. Everyone's getting a watermelon slice. You play the game to win. And if that's how you think the best thing to do is to, to win, that's what you do. Is that the same with, with your guys' empty netters too? Like there was a couple that the computer one was important, but I think you guys are coming off the bench. They're smiling. They're happy. Like no one was pulling it out at that point. It was like, let's just keep pouring it on here and leave nothing to Calgary's uh, giving them any chance to sort I mean, of come there out. is a rivalry here and a little bit of bad blood between these two franchises as well. And that's okay too, Andrew. No, it is. And, and I would say, you know what? I'm a competitive person. I played my career competitive. I was a fiery individual. I would say I'm more on the end of playing at that. And the same with Mouse. You know, I played with Mouse. We won a championship together. I've seen how he coaches. He demands and res- the respect. And he's an intense coach and an intense player. So, sure, there's a rivalry. But, no, it's not a malicious thing. Man, we've all been around lacrosse long enough. I've seen it in Man Cups with New West. I've seen it in the NLL with teams coming back. The game ain't over till it's over, and there's not a sport in the world that garners momentum and weird things can happen. Um, so I think it's one of those things. If you see an empty net, you got to try to add that that extra goal to the scorecard. We're going to look ahead to San Diego, but it was a pretty good game on the weekend. The fourth time you guys saw the Calgary Roughnecks all season. There's no surprises there. You know, is it is it tough to, or is it an advantage to game plan against a team you've seen so many times this year when there is not a lot left to the imagination? You know, how tough is it to put together a new game plan against a team that you've seen three times this season. It's definitely an interesting dynamic in lacrosse with being so much games within the division. I think there's two points of it. Sometimes you can psych yourself out in a way where you're trying to like, Oh, we're going to implement this new thing. And then they're not going to be ready. And they're going to have to react kind of like a tug of war. But at the same time, you should have a very clear understanding and path what makes you successful against their team. There was no, there was no surprise that we need to do a better job and take away Curtis Dixon, who's an elite player in this league, who got on a heater and there was nothing we could do. We knew we had to be disciplined instead of the penalty box. We knew their transition game is probably some of the best ever in the history of lacrosse. Their ability to run, so. You need to be cognizant of what makes your team successful. And I think it's really about getting your players to, to play at a level and do things that make you successful. So I think it's the same with San Diego. We know they have some elite players on the offensive end. We know what they do to make successful. How can we be ready to, to answer the bell when they're playing at their best? Uh, speaking with Andrew McBride here, I kind of want to just backtrack a little bit because I, I think it's an interesting question that Brad brings up. Like we kind of see in football preseason, early season, coaches aren't showing their full hand. And I just wonder at the NOL level, like I, I think it's a fine line 
between being really dialed in in your systems, knowing your plays inside and out. But on the flip side, the team that's watching video on you is probably getting a pretty good handle on it as well. So I don't really know what I'm trying to ask here. Like how much new information or how much stuff are you keeping back in, say, like the final game of the regular season where you know that you got a chance to meet these guys again a week later in the playoffs? Are you keeping stuff in the back pocket to break out when postseason comes around? Well, the interesting thing and the problem in this league is practice time. It, it, I really do believe you get better when you can practice these situations. And you know what? It's the old East-West. Do I think East have an advantage being able to practice midweek? For sure. Does that mean they're implementing all sorts of new things and new game plans? I don't think so. It's such an interesting league where, man, we haven't even got a practice time this week. I don't know if we're even going to have the ability to practice. So you really need to be dialed in on what makes you successful. Sure, you're going to add a little thing here or there. I think offensively, it's more easy to maybe add a play here or we're going to add a little wrinkle here because this team is scouting that. But when it comes down to it, you need to perform at a high level and you're very, very clear what makes your team perform at a high level. So are we going to reinvent the wheel this week and add four new plays, have a new system, be firing here doing this? The honest answer is no. We're, we're going to do what we need to do. In-game adjustments are key. And that's really relying on the players. And I think the elite players in this league um, and the teams that go deep, it's the ability for the players to understand what's going. The coaches can give them some leeway and guidance in terms of, hey, this is what they seem to be running a little more in this game. But we should be prepared for every situation and have the ability to adjust on the fly. On that practicing point, Ryder, I think there is there more Colorado players living in market this season than, than ever before. And has that helped that 7-2 and two record, you think? Yeah, we have tons of guys. We, we have tons of guys living in the town. And you know what it's I think it has in terms of the camaraderie, in terms of building relationships, because that's what's coaching about. And that's what being on great teams it's about. It's about being, you know, the, the term family is thrown around a lot. And, and it is a family in the sense of you spend a lot of time. If I know more about an individual person, I'm going to be a lot more respectful in the way I talk to them. I'm going to be more intuitive in the way I respond to situations. And the more time you spend, the closer you're going to become. So I I think living in market allows you to build relationships. It allows you to get comfortable with the person. It allows you to learn what makes the person tick. And I don't think there's anything that doesn't benefit more than being in the same market. It worked when we played in Calgary. I think it was something that was huge for success. We always had a lot of people. And you saw by our home record and you saw by the way we handled adversity later on and almost throughout this whole season that it's definitely, I think, played a part in the success we've had. Great answer, man. Brad and I have kind of kicked this around a little bit. And I think we were talking with, I want to say Challen Rogers about it, who essentially lives at the track and, and is either in the gym or on the lacrosse floor all day, every day, either coaching, playing, whatever. And Brad and I just kind of speculated how we look at our league now and it is sensational and outstanding. And these guys are the best on the planet at at doing what they do, but how much better could we be Andrew? If teams were all in market together and practicing, not just once, but maybe twice, three times a week leading into a game, where could this league go if we can get to that point? Well, that ties into what you said about making adjustments and having the ability to have practiced more situations and having the ability to run two different defenses. You almost saw it in Albany when I was watching that game this week. You know, one shift they're running the zone defense. Yeah. The next defense they're playing man on man. Then they're pressuring the ball with the said group. 
the more time you have to practice in situations during the week, the better you're going to be able to accomplish that stuff. So in terms of taking games to the next level and being more in depth with the skill and the preparation, I think it would be huge. Now, is it trending in the right direction? Absolutely. The athletes that we have, the ability for these guys to entertain, the engagement on Twitter and social media, which, you know, the old pundits kind of laugh off, but this is the stuff that's important to drive the league. Podcasts like this, um, you really have to have the combination of athletes, which we do, marketability, which is starting to increase twofold, great ownership, which for sure, this is the best ownership groups the league ha- has ever had, and the ability to, 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 to kind of you know, tap into what makes sports exciting. And I think another big thing is the NLL translates so well to this TikTok, Instagram, you know, social media, because you look at sports like baseball, you look at sports during the regular season, like other things, they're losing viewership. These young kids have such a short attention span where lacrosse is so exciting. You have so much going on inside the building. So it really is an exciting time to amalgamate those two things together and to continue to drive not only the participation in lacrosse, but the interest from people that don't play lacrosse. So I hope one day it can get to the point where that, I hope they can do some things to involve more American players because the American development in boxing field lacrosse is going to the roof. But in terms of a sport that's trending in the right direction, lacrosse is doing a great job of that. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in in the fourth quarter Andrew, but where do you come out on the PLL restricting Canadian players from playing in the CLA or WA MSL um, summer leagues here? Like for me, I I don't think the NLL is too far behind this, but I want to hear your thoughts before I kind of share mine later on. Well, listen, I could come on here for an hour and talk about what I've seen in lacrosse and how I would do things differently. You know, I think I'm in a unique situation in terms of I've seen behind the scenes. I was a technical director in Alberta lacrosse. I've coached at the junior level. I've been involved now for 14 years. I ran a company where we were getting to 100 schools in Calgary a year. I've been to CLA meetings. I've played at the NLL. So in terms of do I understand what the PLL is doing, I do. I think it's very important to to protect your product and to develop. You know, it's almost the adage of you got to build the ground floor before you build the roof. So I understand what they're doing. I think in reality, the big thing why they're doing it is they want more Americans to play. And that's fine. It's Paul Rabel's thing. There are so many Americans when you watch NCAA that have the ability to play at a high level. And I don't know particularly much if they, you know, it's not a bad thing. I don't want to say that because the chaos were the most exciting team to watch. They're full of dynamic elite athletes, you know, guys like Dane Smith, all the guys in Buffalo are elite players, but I think they're trying to do a way in which to say, Hey, if you want to go play CLA in the summer, fill your boots, that's fine. But what we're going to do is we're going to open up the player pool in the NCAA and we're going to take some more of these players and we're going to market these players because I don't think they think the gap's bigger. So do I understand what they're doing? Sure. Do I wish lacrosse played better together? Absolutely. Some situations it's trending that way but you got to look out and take care of your own backyard. Interesting concept. I've never really flipped it and given it that angle of a view before, but totally um, 
totally makes sense there. And, you know, they have the room to expand eventually. Like if, if that's the case, then let's get another team in there and give all these NCAA players a, a roster. I'm going to flip that and just ask you now that we're on the topic for the national lacrosse league rider, also important to get American players. in. and I know a lot of teams talk the talk, but not a lot of them walk the walk when you actually look at roster breakdowns. Do you think we get to a place where maybe there's, um, like a quota where there's a 10% of your roster or something CFL that needs stuff. to be American yeah. to start building that interest in, in the USA. I've said it for three, four five years now. You got to go to that model. You have to put in some sort of, and I don't know what the answer is. If it's one, if it's three, if it's 10%, but you just do the basic math equation. When lacrosse in the States has 1.4 million people playing and lacrosse here in Canada, I see it every day. I've seen it with the registration here in, Alberta down 40-50%. The numbers just don't up. You can't you can't have 80% of the league being Canadian and the registration in Canada driving down. So they need to do a job and making it where every team needs to have Americans. And people say, well that's not fair, they're not the best players. But my my pushback to that would be like, well let's do our jobs. Let's hire American scouts. Let's get out there and hold combines. Let's give these opportunity. And if you need to start it on an even playing field, you start it on an even playing field. You make the GMs go out and do their job and you say, hey, you got to go find. I don't care where it is. I don't care how you do it. But there needs to be one American in every game day roster. And I think you would see over time, it's just going to benefit these league because these guys are elite athletes. They're playing box across now. They're hungry, and there is great American players out there. I'll give you Tim Edwards in our team. Nobody talks about Tim Edwards. That guy is one of the best American players in the league, if not the best American player. He gets no credit. He gets no credit. He might get a hot take there, Andrew. He might get a hot take drop right there for that that little spicy nugget. I mean, Tommy Shriver's pretty good. I don't want to put Tim in. And I mean, let's, let's be honest. But, what I, but my point is that nobody talks about Timmy Edwards. Yeah. And Timmy Edwards impacts our team substantially. So I think the gross of lacrosse, long story short, you got to start to get more Americans in there. How do you do it? I'm not sure. But for example, in Denver, you know, we have Asher Nolan coming to camp. You got Keegan Kahn from Maryland. You got Wisnowskis. And these teams are doing a better job of bringing in Americans. So how you make that an even playing field, I don't know. And I don't know if the league's interested in doing that. But if you look at a 5, 10, 15-year plan of the league, it has to be an effort that's being focused on to help develop this league. Well, listen, man, I I want to talk to you about the potential about becoming a, a future head coach in this league, Andrew, but uh, just an uh, open commissioner spot right now at the, at the NLL league office. Uh, you're just spitting fire right now. Just get this guy in, in the big chair at the top of the league because I, I'm picking up what you're putting down, my man. But to get back to it, uh, you know, we saw we saw Vegas pop up here and, and Willie's uh, the head man there, but I would, I would suspect we are going to see a little bit of a carousel in the in the coaching ranks here in the National Lacrosse some teams with subpar records that may be in a little bit of trouble some other coaches on expiring deals uh, with their current clubs we may see a little movement a little rotation some guys looking for work and some guys out of work here is that the end goal for you Mr. McBride to to be the man in the middle of an NLL bench one day well, I think it's just great to see that guys getting the opportunity, younger guys, you know, Jimmy Quinlan, Willie, for a long time, 
it was that thing, Tracy in, in Fort Worth. For the long time, it was the same group of guys, and have, as it should be. Uh, these guys are Hall of Famers, a lot of these veteran guys that are coaching. They've been around. They understand the game. But I'd be lying to you if I said that wasn't a goal. You know, I, I'm always goal-orientated. I, I understand what it takes to play at the highest level, and, and I've worked really hard at my craft here in Alberta. In terms of being a head coach, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Um, I couldn't be happier to be with you know, Hall of Famer and Pat and Bish and Brad Self giving me the opportunity. I continue to learn every time we step on the floor to be able to have a Hall of Famer like Pat Coyle and pick his brain and see how he handles different situations, the ability, how he interacts with players and to think at a different level than I would think. Um, so I'm super happy in Colorado. I'm not going to lie. They've been, they've been nothing but great to me. The guys on the team are fantastic. But ultimately, when you coach, you always want to be at the higher level. So is it a five, 10, two, one-year plan for sure? Um, but you got to earn that. That can't be given to you. And I really do believe that is you just need to continue to do what you think makes you successful to have success with the team. And somebody will eventually come calling. And if they don't, hey, that's life, man. You'd be happy with what you do. You live in the moment. You appreciate the, the opportunities, what you've been given. And I couldn't be more appreciative for the opportunity I've gotten in Colorado. What's that dynamic like with, with Pat Coyle? He's some call him the greatest defenseman of all time. And you're the defensive coordinator for the Colorado mammoth. Is he sort of, Oh, he, and he still sees himself as a defensive minded head coach and, and a team that's built D first. What's that dynamic like with him? Is it, um, is he, does he sort of like have the final say? Does he overrule? Do you put defensive things in motion? Then he's like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to go there, Brad, or, uh, you know, just what's it like working with a guy who's, who's, you know, one of the best in the business at what he does. Well, I would say one of the strengths, I think, and one of the things I've appreciated most about the organization as coaching staff is I really feel like my voice is being heard, not only on the defensive end, but from a player perspective in terms of drafting, from an offensive standpoint. We have such a great group of guys with limited egos that we really mesh and work well together. So uh, he, it's not a dictatorship by any stretch of the imagination. Are there things we disagree on? For sure. Are there things that we see differently in the game? Absolutely. Is he a great influence on me because I run hot and I need to calm <laughs> down sometimes? <laughs> For sure. I was going to say, do you ever what, check yeah. the heart rate or the blood yeah. pressure when you're on the bench there, Brad? Because there's been some times where yeah. I'm a little bit concerned. Yeah. And that's something I need to continue to develop and work on. And he's really helped out for me. He's helped in understanding that you can't be worrying about things that you can't control. You can't be worried about referees. And you know what? I'm still relatively a new coach. I would never say I know everything. He's been a really good influence in continuing me to try to control my emotions better and put it onto our players and worry about things that I can control. But it's such a unique thing coaching and we talk about relationships like we talked earlier every game we have we build on that relationship you know I played with Patty a little bit in Coquitlam obviously I played against him but we're continuing to grow as a group and and you can see the group development not only on our coaching staff but on our team and as a group and whole so uh, I'm fortunate to have a hall of famer it's amazing what he brings to the table and a perfect role model and someone for me to emulate my, my coaching career after last one here for you, Andrew is uh, I know you got to get off to, to pick up the kids from school here. Uh, San Diego, what do you got to do here to, to get past the seals in the conference finals? Yeah. An elite team, you know, led by an elite coaching staff. They have dynamic players on the ON. They have X factors in, in one of the greatest, if not, you know, he's in the top three, five greatest players of all time. Now in Dane Doby, you got Austin Stotts and Westberg over there. 
Uh, I think for us, it's going to be the intangibles. I think we, against Calgary, we did a phenomenal job of playing between the lines and picking up loose balls. We did a phenomenal job of being physical and being engaged without taking shifts off. We did a phenomenal job of understanding if we're in situations on the floor, what they're trying to do. So, you know what, it's going to take a team effort. Uh, San Diego's had our number a little bit this year. We've had a couple close games with them. We understand how competitive and how dynamic they are. They obviously have great leadership and one of the best leaders of all time in Brody Merrill. I think it's going to be a really evenly balanced match and it's going to come down. I know it's a cliche, but it is little things. It's who's going to run to the bench harder. Who's going to go into the corner for a two-handed loose ball. Who's going to take a punch in the face and who's going to be able to get to two of the most elite goalies in the NL and Frank Giuliano and Dylan Ward. So it's going to be an awesome series. I'm excited for, for the fans. I'm excited for, for our group to try to raise up and seize the challenge. And it's going to be an awesome Western final. You good, Bradley? Friday night. All right. Western conference quarter, Western conference final. Yeah. Now I know it's crazy. All out of mammoth San Diego seals. Brighter. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate your time, man. Good luck the rest of the way. Say hi to Gary for me and uh, we'll get you back on here soon. That was a great chat, man. Appreciate your time. Anytime, fellas. I appreciate it. Thanks for always uh, doing the best to cover it. It's it's great. Uh, Our pleasure, man. I didn't get this in. Are you Raiders? Okotoks? Summer? What's going on? Summer, yeah, I'll be. I'm doing GM. I'll be back on the bench for sure. Be coaching a little of the offense. Mitch Bannister okay. uh, took over as the head coach, so we're excited. So Mitch will be the head coach. Creighton Reed's helping out. Oh, uh, myself and Jesse. Oh, yeah, Reader's absolutely. Yeah, he's a beauty, so Weapon. we're look, we're looking forward to it. All right, buddy. Thanks for doing this. Good luck uh, against San Diego, and we'll catch up soon. Anytime, fellas. Appreciate it. There you go, Andrew McBride and uh, Brad. That was uh, some for refreshing comments coming out from a young progressive mind in our game and these are the voices that we need to start listening to for our game to continue to grow yeah and just when he lists off his resume there and what he's done that many don't know about behind the scenes in alberta he's been involved since he moved there become a calgary roughneck leaving my hometown once upon a time and heading east a little bit he's just done he's touched so much so when he talks about being able to see a general uh, he's a general manager in junior a he talks about helping that alberta pipeline get down to the colorado mammoth you know you look at kinnear and mcintyre and brett craig and those guys aren't on the colorado mammoth andrew mcbride is not is not part of that organization and then to see it from all levels play junior a play wla play the national lacrosse league coached at all levels um he's there's nothing he had he's nothing there's nothing that he hasn't seen so i uh i think there's some great great nuggets to take back i want to go back and listen back to that interview yeah. again just to sort of soak up all the knowledge that he spews because he's a fast talker and he's a super intelligent guy and there's a lot of stuff in there that the whole lacrosse world should listen to and take forward. I, I'm riding his coattails as far as I can. Going to be a head coach one day. Mark my words, no doubt about it. Great chat with Brider. It's halftime here on EP 183. Third quarter action is on deck as we head for Banditland. The GM and defensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bandits, NOL Hall of Famer, Steve Dietrich on the other side. This is Patrick Merrill, GM and head coach of the San Diego Seals. You're listening to Lax Class, your go-to source for all things NLL and box across. Welcome back to Lax Class. Second half action. It's a go. Third quarter. Jake Kelly, Brad Challoner, and now joined by NLL Hall of Famer, GMD coordinator of the Buffalo Bandits, who 
got past the Albany Firewolves in the opening round of the playoffs, the quarterfinals, and now have a matchup with the Toronto Rock, which I am ultra excited to watch. Uh, Steve Dietrich, Chugger, back on the pod. What's going on, boss man? How are you? Jumbo, Brad, it's all, it's always a pleasure. I I uh, have the luxury, I guess, or the pleasure of listening to this every week. So it's always always fun when I get to come on. I get to miss an episode because I never list, like to listen to myself on a replay. So <laughs> it, uh, How's it's the Western bias to, been for it. you? We try and balance things out here with you in mind of, you know, calling us uh, Western homers and honks. Uh, how's the bias been lately? Because we've been cognizant of this. Well, but it's basically, and I bust Jamie about this, it's basically become the Western slash Toronto Rock. <laughs> like, you know, last week, I think I listened to 10 minutes and Challenger's got Toronto Rock winning every award and you're not picking us. And, uh, and we won't even talk about that other podcast that had us losing and Jenner's got Toronto winning the championship. Oh, and, man. Well, this is all like, fuel for the fire. It's just fuel like, for the fire. Do you guys even know Buffalo's Steve, still in the league? Like, you guys do I, know the Buffalo <laughs> Bandits playing this league, right? I had a take, take about a month ago, I think, about head coach of the year. And and even, I think, Dane at that point, maybe it was mid-season when Resta Terrence was hot and Ryan Lee was hot and, you know, Dane was Dane was creeping up and you guys were 8-1 and one or whatever it was. And I was almost saying that, you guys weren't getting the credit because it was almost too obvious. So it was, that was a nice pat on the back there. I think it was like, it was too obvious. That's that the problem. You compiled Everybody was talking about Terrence and Lee and, you know, TK was making some noise with an expansion team and it was, it wasn't, it just looked differently for Buffalo to be, you know, nine and one at that point, it was too obvious to give you guys all the awards. <laughs> but in hindsight, of a roster. in hindsight, you look back and I think Dane is now the consensus MVP doing what he did. And, you know, I do put John Tavares right at the top of the coach of the year category. And you're part of that bench. It's a bench award, Steve. So I'll give that to you guys to give that to you too. But most impressively, I guess, is how you guys were getting the most out of all these superstars all season long with seemingly not a lot of egos and, and one ball to go around and having all these 30 goal scores. How did you manage that load on offense to get all those guys to be as productive as they were this season? Well, you know, the, the big thing is when, when you have uh, arguably, I, I don't consider it arguably, but I, I imagine you two will argue with me on it. But when the greatest lacrosse player of all time is your coach slash offensive coordinator, and, and he's telling these guys to be unselfish. And, and I always thought that JT was probably um, the most unselfish superstar that, that I'd ever been around. So when, when he's telling these guys to go out and play like that, it, it's, it's tough to not listen to what, you know, the message that John's delivering. And then, you know, we're lucky. Like Dane, Dane is, is a, uh, he's just unbelievable for us. Like he is unselfish. He's a great leader in the locker room. You know, he organizes stuff behind the scenes, you know, him and, and Josh drag those guys that live in Buffalo to the gym every day. So when your best player is your hardest worker, who's one of your best leaders and, you know, is as unselfish as Dane is, you know, the rest of the guys just follow along. And, and, you know, I don't want to, by saying that about Dane, I don't want to take anything away from the other guys, especially Josh. Josh has, has basically grabbed the reins with Dane and, and the two of those guys are such incredible leaders that the rest of those guys just follow them on offense. 
there's so many things that just like came into my mind there. I don't know. Best box lacrosse player of all time, Chugger. I am fully on board with that. I just think he maybe lacked a little outdoor and, and international stuff to be considered the greatest lacrosse player of all time. If you're with me on that box, I don't think it's even close. So uh, say what you will about that. I want to just quickly ask you this. Oh, Jumbo, Jumbo, I don't want to jump in. But no, no. Like, and that's take nothing away. Like I had the the distinct unpleasure of having to face Paul and Gary, and you know that was no treat. No. So like th- those <laughs> guys, and, and Junior and Doyle, you can go down the list of guys that that are up for that. I'm I'm obviously biased, having been around John since you know since I was 21 years old. But um, you know that that's not a slight. The rest of those guys, and you can make an argument for Paul. You can make an argument for Gary. You can make an argument for Junior. You can make an argument for Doyle, and you can probably go on. And, and yeah. some of those people won't be wrong. So, you know, it's it's just amazing the talent. And you, I guess you can look at it, Gretzky, Howe, um, yeah, yeah, or it's the same thing, right? So I gotcha. it's just it's just great to have that conversation because those guys were such on a, an unbelievable level. And it was just fun to watch. Not fun to play against most nights, no, but fun I, to watch. I, I bet. Uh, okay, quickly here, because Dowd told me to to ask you about this, and I never did. But there I was watching the big game on, on the weekend, and I saw Steve Dietrich standing on that Buffalo bench, and I'm looking at him going, you were in better shape now than you were as a player no question about that. So Jamie said you're on the, the the Peloton or the Echelon here twice a day or so. I I got one of these sitting in my living room here, but I want to start looking like Steve Dietrich. So what what's the routine or the regimen for you? Like how long are you riding? What kind of rides are you doing? All that sort of stuff. I need to know this. Yeah, no. Uh, if I would, yeah, like, listen, man, I, I eat like crap. So I'd be 400 pounds if I didn't ride the bike, but if, if I, if I exercise what I did now back then, you know, maybe I got, would have got an extra year or two out of my career, but you know, I, I have a, like an actual life cycle. I don't have a Peloton. I have an actual life cycle from a gym. Um, then, and I ride it for two hours every morning and I go in just in 15 minute increments. So I'll just do like a 15 minute hill session and I'll do different levels. You know, sometimes it'll be level 10, then maybe level eight then never level 12 and level nine. Like I'm all over the map, but um i enjoy it it lets me you know before i get going at work it lets me put you know a game on on my ipad and you know the time just flies by so i enjoy it i find that you know i'm a morning person i've never been a night person so i find that i get my day going and i you know the adrenaline gets going and i look forward to the rest of my day after i get to exercise so i'm not a runner i'm not like you guys where you're you know you're always <laughs> I, mean, the I am no runner like anymore so, steve <laughs> i don't know yeah, if i so, ever was a runner but yeah okay well that's good uh you're looking sharp and the last thing i want before i kick it back to brad here is dane smith and and man i i was calling a game while you guys were playing your final game so i didn't even really realize until after the fact that Dane goes over in his final game of the season. It doesn't break his own record. And I know it's not probably that important to Dane, but as a team, I know you guys wanted to probably get this done for him, but did that like even come up in the room or was it talked about after? Was there disappointment in it? Like how did you guys handle that situation? No, I don't, th- you know what? I don't think there was much talk of it after the game. I think the guys, I, I think we played normal in the first quarter. Uh, that game, I, I think, but midway through the second quarter, I think the guys started to understand what was going on. And then it started to be, 
you know, let's try and feed Dane the ball. Um, or when Dane passed it to you, make sure you're the guy that shoots it. I think subconsciously they were trying to help him get it. Um, but like I say, Dane's so unselfish that it is what it is. I, you know, you, you can say that he, he wasn't disappointed. I, I know I would be if you get that close to, to breaking a, a record, even though it's a record that you own. Um, he'll never admit that, and that's part of what makes him the greatest. But, um, you know, the, I'm sure the guys were a little little disappointed. But, um, you know, full, full credit to Toronto and, and to Nick Rose. It, it wasn't for lack of opportunity or lack of chances. Um, that night, Nicky just uh, he just was yeah, fantastic, was and, and Dane just didn't get a didn't get a sniff. We had Jamie here last week, and he called that a really weird game. Like the tempo was just sort of funky about, it. and it was like two teams that it didn't matter in the playoff standings what was going to happen. You knew you were probably going to see, hopefully, see each other in, in this next round in the Eastern Conference Final, which we are going to see. And we kind of asked this of Brider how much a team is showing their hand in the last couple of weeks of the season when things are locked up, when you know you could meet in the postseason. Um, do you think you have a different Buffalo Bandits team than what you showed in the final game of the regular season against the Toronto Rock? Um, you know what? It, it, it'd be real easy for me to sit here and say we played vanilla. Um, but, you know, we didn't. We went out and played the same systems that we've done all year. I, I've always find that if you try and do something different than what you normally do just to not show somebody – something then it's just going to screw you up if you know whether it's the next week against albany or or whether it's if you get the chance to play those guys again i i just think you know we played well toronto played well i thought nick rose was amazing in the first half it's a game that that we could have had a lot bigger lead than 5-1 you let a great team like that hang around um you know they get a break they get a power play goal all of a sudden it's 5-3 then they get some transition you know, but when we did video last week, like we pointed out to the guys, like I think with five minutes or six minutes left in the game, we, we were up seven, four or seven, five, I think. So, um, you know, it's one of those where we had a bad five minutes and it went from seven, five, I think to 10, seven. So, um, you know, they're a great team and I think we're a good team and it's both teams played hard. You're right. There's, there was nothing really statistically, I guess, or standings wise on the line, but anytime Toronto and Buffalo play, um, you know, you don't want to lose. So, uh, you know, although it didn't mean anything, uh, I'm sure our guys will be a little more motivated because we lost at home to them. And I'm sure they will be a little more motivated because they know we're going to be motivated. So it's going to be, it'll be fun. There's no doubt. Here with Steve Dietrich and from one goalie on the bench watching this game. Well, I guess the last two, and I think we're going to see more of it, but Dougie and Vino put on a heck of a show there in Bandaland that was absolutely rocking on the weekend, by the way. It looked great, sounded great. But talk about this Matt Vince guy, because it it's absolutely... Well, do this, Steve. Talk about both Vinces, because I don't think the guy on the bench gets enough credit either, but Vino and, and his brother, these guys are, are doing a heck of a job for you. Yeah, you know, first off, and you guys have heard me, I'm sure, many times say that that uh, the best goalie that I ever saw or what, that I was ever around was Bob Watson. And, <clears throat> you know, and then being around Matt now, Matt has definitely, those two guys are on a, on a different planet than everybody else. And, and the thing that's so great about Matt is he is consistently great every week. And his mental preparation, his physical preparation, you know, he just brings his A level. Somebody asked me the other day, do I think Matt's peaked or does he have another level to get to in the playoffs? And I, 
I said, I don't think Matt Vince ever peaks. I just think he always plays great. So um, he's just phenomenal. He's the best now that's ever put on pads. I've never seen a guy do it for the length of the career uh, that Matt has. Uh, I think he's 39 now. I wish he was 32, but uh, I, I, I think he's 39 now and, and he's still going. But He plays um, like he's so 32, Steve. Well, you, and he and he's got a body of a of a svelte twenty one year old jumbo. So I'm sure he's got a body that you and I just dream about ah, when we're wow. in our dreams at nighttime. So, um, but no, he's phenomenal. And and you're right, uh, Eric doesn't get near the credit that he deserves. He was a guy that uh, we knew had a good track record and had coached junior before. Uh, we didn't know the knowledge that he has and and back then, but he's he's basically gone from our video coach to now a guy that's on the bench that you know is in my ear and is in JT's ear and and honestly he's a sounding board for Matt right like sometimes Matt comes and he needs to vent at somebody and he vents at his brother so um, Eric Eric does a lot more for us than than people give him credit for and and he's been such a tremendous addition for us that it makes things a lot easier for, for John and myself on the bench. Something that I'm finding is becoming a very iconic picture in the national lacrosse league is Matt Vince and Steve Priolo after a goal is scored on you guys looking up at the jumbotron and dissecting the goal that just happened. And I don't know how this started or when it started, Steve, or have you seen like it, they do it every goal. Now they sometimes even do it on a goal where, yeah, it was a, a two-on-one transition opportunity and the guy shot short side. Like, there's not much to dissect, but they will still stand there and look and, you know, talk about the goal. Like, is this a ritual now that's just ingrained and they have to do this every time or when did it start? Where did it start? And have you seen this before? Yeah, I think, honestly, I think that's something that Matt brought with him from Rochester. Uh, I think so. when they, when a goal was scored, I think a bunch of their guys would go in the crease and honestly, what they do, a lot, a lot of people think that it's Matt telling the defense to come to tell me what we're supposed to do next shift. But what, uh, <laughs> what they actually do is they just go over what just happened and how could they play it any differently? Um, you know, whether it's a transition two on one where Matt's telling the defender to hold instead of jumping the shooter or, you know, maybe giving the shooter the shot. It, they just go over the play between the guys that are obviously defending it for him on how he wants to play it or, you know, could they play it a little differently? Or, you know, a lot of time Matt's telling the guys that, you know, guys that you guys did it right. It's it, That's a shot that I got to – that's a save I got to make. So it's a good thing that he's got back there because I, I think by the time the guys get to the bench, they've calmed down. Um, you know, other than Bryce Sweeting, he's always yelling at, at somebody. But – the, the rest of the guys, I think, have calmed down and, and are ready to refocus. And and I, I think, you know, it, back when I played, after I got scored on, I'd lean on the bar and I'd go over the goal in my head and, and it, it let me refocus. I think that that is almost the same thing for Matt by talking it out with his defenders. It lets him vent, get the goal out, and now he's refocused to, to get going again here on faceoff. Did you point at me or I pointed I, at you? No, I'm pointing. Oh, you pointed at me. Okay. We're, I pointed at you. I thought pointing you pointed at, at me. Well, no, I, I thought you might want to go twice in a row there, but that's fine. Uh, Toronto Rock, Steve Dietrich. Uh, I know you and Jamie talk almost on a daily basis. I, I don't know if that is still the case heading into a playoff series of this magnitude. Jumbo, I wish it was only on a daily basis, once a day. <laughs> I would live with once a day on a daily basis. Okay, well, we're talking what? multiple times well, a day, and, are, are and sometimes you, it's painful. And uh, well, what what do these conversations entail then? Maybe you can enlighten us on that. Like, what are you guys uh, but jabbering about? <laughs> half the time he'll call me, and if I don't call him back within five minutes, and I come back half an hour later, I'll say, "What do you want?" 
and he'd be like, I can't you know remember. what? I, I actually forgot what I called <laughs> what I called you for. Like it's, but he's he's a beauty. Um, like he's one of my best friends, and he's just so funny. But he's, you know what? He's one of these guys that, when I say conceited, I say it in the, the nicest term possible. Like he'll say something to me a week we play each other, um, and it'd be like, I can't. Like okay. First off, you understand that I, I'm a member of the team that you're playing against. So I can't actually believe you just said that to me. And second off, it's like, like, do you honestly understand how much bulletin board material that would be, what you just said, if I actually took it from a guy that I thought meant it to be as bulletin board material? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like early, in, like at the beginning of the year, he said, I honestly think we're going to go 18 and 0. He goes, no, no, no. You know what? I, I think we may have a stumble somewhere. So we might 17. go 17 and one. He's just got a lot and of I'm conviction, thinking, just conviction. And in I'm his just, club. I'm thinking to myself like, bud, like, like you play us three times. Like you, you, that's what you're going to go with right now. But he has no idea. Like he's got no concept of the oh, fact that he's man. being braggadocious, I guess you could say, because he's really not. He's just speaking from the heart because that's who he is. Right. There's no pretentious stuff with Jamie Dalek. He'll give you what he's feeling. And, and he's so, he's such a nice guy. He doesn't mean anything bad by it. But it's sometimes I just laugh. It's like I, can't, I just can't believe you just said that. Did he square up on the pizza finally, or where are we at with all that? Hey, first off, uh, this is for uh, your contest that you guys got going on. That's a great question. Oh, um, yes. oh. <laughs> with too him. easy there. Take That's that, Challenger. That was uh, money. That, right there. <laughs> um, no, he has not settled up with the pizza. He has assured me that. Um, when we play there a week from Saturday, okay. there will be a pizza in the building. All so right, so this is good. This is there, good. We've got you on. Yourself. We're on the record again, and now it's it's like it's legit because it's the second time around. He's got no more excuses here for for no pizza shops opening the hammer, right? No, like uh, somehow they they couldn't get a pizza in the last time we played, but he's assured me that next Saturday there might be a pizza place open somewhere in Hamilton on a Saturday night at nine thirty <laughs> that he can get one into. He's assured well, me. Well, he he owes me a pizza now, oh. by the way, for creating that good question score. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's getting ugly. It's getting ugly. Attendance was attendance was well, it was down. This week, Tucker, it was down in Calgary. It was okay in San Diego. It was down in, um, in Toronto and Buffalo held, held pretty steady. And, you know, there's only a week to sell playoff tickets in some of these markets and Calgary's having a playoff run right now with the flames. And there's a lot going on. Um, but Buffalo bandit land held pretty stable. Um, just talk about, talk about Bandland showing up and, and do you have maybe a theory as why it was down in, in these other cities this week for the playoffs? Guys, I, I think honestly, some of the markets, um, either do or don't include, you know, the first round playoffs in their season ticket package. So I, I think that might be a, a, a reason in some markets if they don't, uh, I also look at it like in Calgary, um, diehard fans. Like I think they might've led the league in attendance this year, but. Um, you know, when, when you win on a Saturday night to basically, I think they clinched third, I think when they won, they clinched uh, second. So really yeah. you're not getting that message out until late in the game or after the game, half the people are walking out, they're not even listening. So then you're trying to get the message out on Sunday morning and Monday to start buying tickets, you know, it just coincides with the fact that the flames have two home playoff games that week. So I think that was, it was a tough week for those guys to sell. I think if, if, you know, if they would have won against Colorado, that would have been a lot better for them. Um, I, I think Hamilton's been up and down, right? I think 
I think Jamie and those guys have done a great job. I think the lower bowl looked like it was pretty good. Um, you know, I, and I, and I imagine we'll get some, some bandit fans traveling in a couple of weeks. So I imagine they'll have a good crowd and Buffalo. I I've had the luxury of, of being around here. I, I want to say 15 years as a player and a GM, you know, everybody uses the term. We have the best fans in the world. Listen, man, like there's no better lacrosse fans in our league than, than Buffalo. Uh, Bandit land is a special place as you guys have seen on social media when we're in Rochester or, or we're in Albany, like we just have a throng that follows us around and, and they're basically so dedicated and so knowledgeable that they're, they're a fun group to play in front of. I almost compare them to the good Philadelphia fans yeah. and the fact that they keep, they keep you honest. Yeah. Like they're there for you through thick and thin yeah. and they'll keep you honest. And when they're not happy, um, they'll let you know, but they're going to go down with you. They're never going to abandon you. They'll, they'll let you know what they feel, but they're always going to be there. And that that to me is why they're the, on top of the amount we get, that's they're, they're just so loyal and they're great. And that's why they're the best there is. I'll tell you why the fans came out in droves in, in Bandolin. The Bandettes were back, man. And, uh, <laughs> I have to assume this was your call bringing back the Bandettes. You know what? I, that's that's a Scotty Loeffler thing, and and I don't know why they went away. Um, but I like the fact that they're back because in in between the TV timeouts, you know, there's a bit of a lull. You know, I imagine you guys see. Well, you got possession on offense. You got something to look at, right? Well, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> listen, my wife might listen to this, so I'm okay, not going to. Okay. I'm not going to comment. But um, no, like they keep the crowd energized, right? During the two minute TV timeout, when when the TV goes to break, they keep the crowd energized and and they're around. And yeah, I, I think they're a great idea. Um, you know, on top of being nice to look at, I think they're a great idea. They they do a phenomenal job, and they they keep our crowd going. Um, you know, like we talked about Bandaland a couple minutes ago, it wouldn't be Bandaland without Chris Wenson. So you have Chris Wenson that keeps the crowd rocking and rolling. You have the girls that come out to do the BAN, uh, DITS and stuff like that. So it's a good combination. I'm glad they're back and it, it helped keep our, guy, our, our, our guys, it helped keep our fans energized. That was almost a slip of the tongue. Helped kept, <laughs> help kept our fans energized uh, during the stoppages. Steve Diedrich, Hall of Fame goaltender, defensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bandits. I don't know if I've asked you this, and you because of the goaltending expertise and, and looking around the National Lacrosse League this year, Steve, all, all the success young goalies have had, whether it was a freak one-off like Getty or, or, or Riglieri or, or the seasons that Danud and, and Orleman put together, a lot of great young goaltenders coming up in the league. Where do you think we're at when the state of young goaltending how deep is the how deep is the well as we continue to expand and bring in goaltenders from the canadian junior ranks guys going into the year that would have been my main concern about continuing to expand um but that comes from a a dinosaur like myself that that is you know get tries to get married to to one goalie and and that you believe that he's probably the only guy that can do it and and the thing that i like the most is some of these kids got a chance and they prove people like me wrong in the fact that there's lots of depth and and you can go even deeper like look at joel watson look at the opportunity he had in 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 rochester and i thought he played great for them down the stretch you know rylan hartley's there uh kevin orleman is a young boy that that really demood sort of took the job away but kevin orleman can play so i think we are a lot deeper in net um than than i than definitely i ever thought we were but than I think most of the teams thought we were. So that bodes well that if we're able to continue to expand, whether it be next year, the year after, the year after that, that the uh, 
that the the state of, of our goaltending is in in great hands. And I imagine it's only going to keep getting better. Like you bring up, you know, Justin Geddes, he's going to be looking for a spot. Um, the Bland kid in, in Calgary, the Kells kid in Calgary, you know, we have a young one in, in Devlin Shanahan that's looking for a shot. Um, you know, Dougie Buckin has been a great backup for Vino. Like there's, and then Toronto's got two and Hutchcraft and Holchuk. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, I can continue to go on. Well, so, how about, uh, um, how about uh, the guy, the kid I saw at Survivor's Cup there and former bandit Mikey Thompson's kid looks like he's going to be a good one on the come up. There you go, Jumbo. Like we can just continue to go on, which is great because like, I think Bino's only got about another five or six yeah. years left. So we're probably going to have to replace him at some point um, in Buffalo. But yeah, like it, uh, it's exciting to know that, that the state of our goaltending in our game, which, what, which, like I said to you guys, uh, I, it scared me. I didn't think we would have the depth to continue to move on here. Um, but um, you know, the way some of these young kids played just because they were given a chance um, you know, it was really impressive to watch. Well, we're looking forward to watching this weekend. I know it's going to be impressive. By the way, tell Gertzie my, my favorite call of the week was, oh, my galoshes. That, that, that got me. That got me. Oh, my galoshes. I don't know where that comes from, but it's absolute gold. He had Berm Daddy riding shotgun. It was a lot of fun, and, and look forward to this weekend as well. Well, guys, like I've said to you before, I, I enjoy listening to you guys do the WLA games. I enjoy, believe it or not, I enjoy listening to Teddy do the WLA <laughs> games as well. Um, but Gertzie's the granddaddy, right? Oh, he's, the, he's the guy that pulls things out. And he's like Bob Cole. He'll say a guy's name wrong, but he says it with so much conviction that you're like, yeah, okay, I'll just go with it. <laughs> we used to have Corey Crosby and Jason Bomberry and all kinds of stuff when he was like, hey, yeah. say it loud enough with as much passion and people will just go with it. Believe it. Believe it. Steve, uh, always appreciate the time here on Lax Class. We'll try and keep uh, the Eastern folks in our thoughts as we move along here. Good luck against those. No good Toronto rock. And uh, we'll have you back on shortly. I'm sure. Guys, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure being on with you. Thanks, Steve. There you go. Hall of Famer, Steve Dietrich. Uh, Not too many GM D coordinators in the NLL. But he's taken on that the job. Only, he's literally the only one. Well, yeah, we've seen Unless some head Brad co- Self wants to jump back on it. Well, back. we've seen some head coaches and GMs. Yeah, but not yeah, so there's, much a few, there's a few of those. Yeah. yeah, there's not specifically an assistant coach and a and a GM. But that tells you a lot about remarkable. this guy, right? That he can check the ego. He can still be the boss, but he can still work a bench and not be the big voice there. And like Hall of Famer, man, the guy, the guy has seen it and done it all in this league, and. He's compiled a pretty good Bandits team there that had a little slip down the the late stages of the regular season, but they get that all-important quarterfinal victory. They're going to have home floor here. But this series coming up against Toronto, Brad, is going to be fun. Sunday lacrosse, brother. Nothing else in town. We love Friday lacrosse and Sunday lacrosse this week. It's absolutely Absolutely, I might have to have fantastic. date night on Saturday. I haven't been able to have date right, night. a free night. Um, what are you going to do? Like the, the lady wants Saturday night's been a long time since we've had a yeah. Saturday night off. She wants to go see Top Gun, and maybe we oh, double date. Yeah. No, Bradley, no, no, that, double- no, that doesn't doesn't come out till the twenty seventh. Oh, no. I've already got it circled. Okay. <laughs> All <laughs> we're right, planning a, we're we're planning a cool radio promotion around the day of really release. By the way, it's huge. listening to I mean, I- Move one hundred three five FM in Vancouver. Um. Yeah, and we didn't talk about it a lot, but JT, it's, you can't. Like Wayne Gretzky was a shitty hockey coach, yeah. right? Like he didn't last very long behind 
the Coyotes bench. So it's not just a case of let's just give the greatest player of all time the reins and see what happens. He is he he's it. a teacher by trade, right? Yeah. So he's got that uh, educational ability, and he's able to get the best out of guys. And when Chugger says, yeah, when JT tells you to check your ego at the door, tells you to do something, you're going to do it because uh, chances are he knows what he's talking about. JT and looks it's like all he's, coming together. He looks like he could be like straight out of the sixties, like the madman. just throw like a fedora on stick a c- cigarette in his mouth. Like he's just got that classic, you know what I'm saying there? Like he just looks old school. Yeah. He's going to, he's a dapper man. Yeah. Don, Don dapper man. Yeah. You know what I was thinking of? I don't know if we get totally off track here but wow. how many coaches like talk about Andrew McBride like he's a guy that he looks like he could still jump on the floor and play yeah. and you see Tracy Koleski and oh, Dan Teeth the way that they run their practices and that they're actually in the drills yeah. and I'd like to maybe see like Jimmy, a, there's be like Quinlan. a coaches no, maybe an all-star game coaches game that's hot that's hot that's really hot now you're you talking you know what I'm getting you know now you're you know, talking Challoner uh, how much? Like how? I would pay. I would pay to see that. Get all those guys. East to versus West. Get out there. Line them up. East versus West. Coaches All Star game. Yeah. Let's, GMs, let's make coach, it happen. GMs and coaches. We got to get those guys in there too. Chris Gill down on the crease. Caleb Toll. Uh, <laughs> like, Sugar and Nash. These guys can still ball the power out. Play. You got Billy Greer playing D. <laughs> Be ridiculous. Yeah, throw Keenan out there on the yeah. Yeah. Uh, good. Good idea right there. Good quarter and good chat with Steve Dietrich as well. We got one more quarter to go here in EP 183. It's the fourth and final frame. Evan's back and we got lax class locks. And hopefully uh, you listened to old Jumbo, Brad, because you got some some bucks in your pocket if you did. We'll talk about it all in quarter four next here on Lax Class. Associated Labels and Packaging, a fun family company that offers premium quality labels and packaging with unparalleled service. With 40 years of experience, an extensive product catalog, and an ever-growing fleet of equipment, Associated Labels and Packaging is the perfect fit to take your labels and packaging to the next level. Double overtime, game seven. Mitch Jones into the middle, got rim, got a shot, scores! Mitch Jones puts the bellies into the finals. Stolen by Mike Messenger, twisting, turning, scoring! You taste it! Listen to this place again! You know, the Canadian Army could use a tank like Mike Messenger. Time now for the Kings of Queen's Park, brought to you by the new Westminster Salmon Bellies. In 1959, while playing for Peterborough, a young Paul Parnell traveled west to play in the Man Cup in Queen's Park. While being swept by the bellies that summer, Parnell was swept off his feet, meeting his future wife, Joan. They were engaged five days later. Bitten by the West Coast, Parnell first signed with Victoria before landing in New West in 1961 for good. He could score, defend, lead, coach, and play better than most of his generation with five-man cups to prove it. He retired as the WLA's all-time leader in goals scored. Later becoming New West's fire chief, he made his mark in the community on and off the hardwood floor. Join us for stories like this all summer long as we celebrate their tradition that is Salmon Bellies Lacrosse. It continues June 2nd when the Salmon Bellies take on the Burnaby Lakers. Tickets and info at salmonbellies.com. Welcome back to Lax Class. Into the fourth quarter we go. No more breaks. And I still have to tell you about Associated Labels and Packaging, though. They focus on ethics and quality and people. When they do their work there with labels and packages, of course, family owned in Coquitlam, over 40 years experience, cutting edge of technology and ever growing 
catalog. Need a label, need a package, AssociatedLP.com is where you go. You will not be disappointed. I can guarantee it. Uh, just talking bellies there. Kings of Queens Park, installment number two, Brad Chowner. Well done once again as we spotlight Paul Parnell, whose jersey hangs up in the old gal there at Queens Park Arena. And you just listed off all the accomplishments of Paul Parnell. I've had a chance to meet Paul a number of times in person and just an A-class human being. And I think that's going to be a reoccurring theme here for the Salmon Belly Greats. Soft-spoken, just so humble, and just a genuinely nice human being. Still see him there at Queen's Park, lingering around, watching games on Thursday nights. Never had a real chance to watch Paul do his thing. Maybe I did, but I was too young to remember it. But I think he retired. He retired in seventy-five. Yeah, Campbell. so only only two there. But uh, what a career! Games played, five manners, all the rest of it for Paul Parnell, and just a A-class human being. Great selection this week for the Kings of Queens Park. And a Peterborough native, mm. so almost blasphemous that a Peterborough native is in one of the all-time great New Westminster Salmon Valleys. But I met Paul at the Man Cup a couple of years ago, 2017, I think, and he was telling a story about he. Nothing, this is nothing's changed in 60 years. He used to play wall ball on the side of a hardware store in downtown Peterborough, <laughs> and the owners hated it because he was making, he was, you know, probably some old wood building and he's, you know, thumping, ball, yeah. thumping, banging balls as a teenager, but they let him do it because they knew that he was, he was becoming a lacrosse player and he's developing his skills. And he was always forever grateful to the owners of this hardware store that let him play wall ball on the side. Now here we are 67 years later and, and kids are still doing that and let kids play wall ball. If they're playing off of your house, your store, whatever, because you never know uh, who these kids can become. Don't forget Smoker coming up uh, for the bellies. I feed the fish coming up as well. Uh, We'll keep you apprised of all things bellies here moving forward on the pod. I got to revisit this just before we kind of get into the fourth quarter here, Brad. I've seen a lot of people commenting once again, on this situation with the PLL restricting its players from playing in the WLA or MSL. And and both leagues have come out with kind of a joint statement looking to open a dialogue with the PLL to try and change this or rectify it. And unfortunately, this is just going to fall on deaf ears. The Rables are not overly concerned, if at all, with what is happening up here in Canada. And For the most part, I think it's an older demographic and people that are tightly knitted to both of these leagues. And don't kid yourself. I love both leagues, the MSL and the WLA. Grew up watching it, broadcast it, play it in it. I love the WLA. Just, I want to make that very, very clear before I share my thoughts. And for the people that are against this and think this is killing summer lacrosse in Canada. It is not. It's doing the opposite. I get the fact that a lot of these teams will be missing two or three of their top players that belong to them. Get over it. Just get over it. The next crop of good young players are going to fill those roster spots. The Man Cup is still going to be a hotly contested championship of top flight 
players our country has to offer. You do not see Matthew Barzell, Elias Pettersson, Johnny Goudreau, go down the... You do not see these guys playing in an amateur league during the offseason. And there is way too much money from corporate sponsorship. The, the, the owners that have invested into their teams sign these players to contracts to allow them to go out and play in a competing or another league during their season and risk them getting injured, getting hurt, their season being over. This is the direction our sport needs to go where our professional athletes, a.k.a. the best players on earth, are playing in the professional leagues and nowhere else. It's the same level playing field for everybody in this situation. And instead of looking at it like you're being punished or it's it's damaging the sport or the game or the league, look at it like an opportunity for your team to engage the local community, have closer tiles, ties to local products, and do your homework at the draft so you're drafting good young players that can make your team. This will give you an opportunity to be a little more physically responsible instead of handing out a check to the top-end players to try and bolster your roster. This is the direction that our league needs to go. The NLL is not too far behind doing this. I get it's a tough situation when you have one league telling a player you cannot go play in this league if you want to play in our league. But it's happened before with the NHL. Like you look back through the annals, it, this has happened before. It's going to happen again. And it's okay. There is tons of good, young, local talent that can fill out these rosters. It's okay. Like I, I really don't understand the mindset of, of these leagues that think that and at the end of the day, guys, like if Curtis Dixon doesn't want to be told what he can and can't do, then fine. Don't go play in the PLL. You're more than welcome to stay in the WLA. And if they're willing to give him whatever it takes to make Curtis Dixon stay, then so be it. This isn't communism. Like they're not saying you can't play in, in either league. You have a choice as a player on what you want to do with your lacrosse career. So tell me I'm wrong here, guys, but for the people that are saying this is killing summer lacrosse, it's doing anything but. It's going to grow it. And pull your head out of your ass because this is the future. This is where it needs to go. It's happening whether you like it or not. So get your head around it and get on board with it. Change is tough when it's happening in, in real time. I think because this is happening, it's hurting a lot of feelings right now. It's hurting a lot of clubs. It's hurting a lot of players, hurting a lot of um, retired players and alumni of, of teams. Feelings we're gonna look back are and getting We're going to look back. I know. Feelings, feelings are getting hurt. World's smallest violin. We're going to look back in 10 or 15 years and, and go, oh, why was everybody so upset about that? That made so much sense to do that. Look at the level that these players are at now look where Josh Byrne is look where Chris Clucci is and look what they're doing as full-time players benefiting both leagues and all leagues to show that that professionalism is is a level that can be achieved by by kids coming up there was a line that stuck out to me in the original press release and I think they might have even gone back and changed this but it was along the lines of Doug Louie saying 
let these players play for their local amateur clubs. I wish they were all local amateur clubs. And maybe at the heart, some of them think that they still are, but when there's teams are throwing around that's salaries that's and bringing in players from all over the country, that to me is not a local amateur club. That is a professional organization. When you're bringing players in, I want the Coquitlam Adnax to be a local amateur club where every player is from his own backyard. That's how you're going to grow the game and tickle your community and entice your community. If they only saw themselves truly as local amateur clubs and then operated in that regard, can't have it both. Ways. I'm all for that. I'm all for that. And that's what I want to see. I don't want to see half the teams doing that and half the teams not. So maybe this forces all teams to really look in the mirror and say, we are a local amateur club and that's how we need to start running Again, and operating. The WLA, and let the pros, let the pros be the pros. The WLA and MSL are fantastic leagues with top notch lacrosse. That is not going to change removing the top two or three guys off of each team that are just too good to be playing in the league or have the option at their disposal because they are that good at lacrosse to play. There again, there is no other sport on the planet that has professional, a professional league that is allowing their players to play in an amateur league in the off season. This is the evolution of our game that we all want for it to grow and get into the mainstream and become one of the big four sports. Make it the big five. It's not happening the way it is now. It needs to change. The change has begun. It's time. Here's my two cents on it. Welcome, Evan. Thanks. And it's I've seen a lot of comments about people saying, I'm not going to watch the PLL because of this. And you're robbing yourself. I'm I'm excited coming up because we're going to have PLL, we're going to have WLA, we're going to have MSL, we're going to have junior lacrosse. I can sit on a Tuesday night and watch a game somewhere. We're going to have that benefit, which we don't have in the wintertime. And the fact that the PLL is now available on TSN just the way the NLL is, if you're not taking the opportunity to watch this, to see the talent that's there, the Canadian talent that is there, we celebrated chaos winning this title last year to death. So don't don't rob yourself of watching one league or another. Enjoy the game. All of it. Again, you, you, you look at the ALL in both the East and the West. Take the top two or three guys off of each of those teams and plug them into your WLA roster. Problem solved. There is a lot of good talent in those leagues. Let's also not forget that these these teams coming into this season are full of two years of draft picks that are going to try to be making this club. You're going to find a lot of undiscovered talent with this happening, and it it's not going to take away from the. I am so looking forward to this upcoming WLA season. And I think it's going to be the coaching and the GMs that do the best and work the hardest to make their rosters are, are the teams that's going to win here. And that is what the WLA and MSL should really be about. It shouldn't be about who's got the deepest pockets. And unfortunately what we've seen in the past five, 10 years, that's exactly the teams that have won the man cup, the richest teams. And that's not what those two leagues are or should be about. 
Okay. Uh, I'm glad I got that off my chest. That's been sitting inside me for a couple of days now, and it needs to be said. And I know it's probably going to piss off a few people. I'm okay with that. I really am. You want to come out, just pick up the phone and give me a call. I'm happy to have a further conversation. 604 I'm just kidding. I do that every well, time. Yeah, you are you not excited for a guy like Mike to see what Mike Messenger can do? I'm- on the Thrilled. field against these like, guys. Yeah, like you mentioned that, but it's it's the patriotic pride. Like I want to see Messenger go down there and dominate and put America on notice to what fans in Saskatchewan and Coquitlam New have West, known yeah. for years. That was with the pride. It was like watching Team Canada win at the Worlds, watching Chaos do what they did. I want to see Zach Courier be considered the best player on planet Earth indoors and outdoors. Because we know what he can bring, so there's some patriotic pride that comes into play there as well. Charlotte, I want to see Charlotte Beatties. Yeah, I want to see Reed Bowering just as a Van- as a Vancouver guy. Wrap your head around it. It's happening. And worlds are a year away. You get that opportunity to see these guys before that big Canada USA matchup next year for all the marbles. Brad, layer layer poll question on Evan here. Let's pull. get poll question time i know evan wanted in on this one of the teams eliminated over the past weekend evan whose window is open to go further than they did in 2023 calgary halifax philadelphia or albany all first round exits who's got the opportunity to get to the next round in the next season none of the above ouch none of them and you can take that as my hot take that's fine i say none none of the the above above. they're all taking a step back or, so essentially, or, they're non-playoff or, or equal. The non-playoff teams, or they're getting bounced in the first round again next year. All four of these teams, or missing the playoffs all, outright. I'll explain it here. Calgary, you got to imagine that Zach Courier had almost the perfect season. Is he going to have the perfect season two years in a row? That's tough. I I think he could have a better season next year, Evan. But I honestly don't think Curtis Dixon's coming back. I really don't. You know, I and. That in itself is going to create a hole. And as much as Saskatchewan might be losing a few guys in free agency, they've got a good core that's there. We've seen what they can do the last several games. I think Saskatchewan ends up against like Colorado or San Diego next year in the West final. That's why I don't say Calgary. Halifax, we've seen Cody Jameson. You know, he had the worst output of his career. Uh, that team is starting to get old. It's got goaltending problems all of a sudden. Against a Nick Rose or a Matt Vince, I, I don't see Halifax doing it. Uh, Albany, your two main scorers are on the 30-plus roster here with, with Reziteritz and Banesh. So I don't see them getting any further. And Philly, I think we saw the best Philly could produce, and it wasn't enough. And that's for that reason, I'm saying it's none of the above. I think they all either get as far as they did or they miss the playoffs. Negative Nelson, Evan Schemenauer on a Monday afternoon here. Okay. Some, that's some good, some good yeah, takes yeah. in there though. And I, I will say, like you mentioned, Saskatchewan is going to be better next year. I think if Vancouver figures out how to find some secondary goal scoring and maybe shores up their back end a little bit deeper, they're taking a step forward, right? So let's say Saskatchewan and Vancouver have playoff teams next year. You're right. Someone's got to come out. Calgary could come out. San Diego could come out. Someone's got to fall out, right? Let's not forget about Panther City. And then the same thing for the East, the Riptide are coming on, right? The Riptide are going to be a playoff team for the next 
decade, however long Jeff Teed wants to play there. I think the Riptide have their sights on on playoffs to where they're, they're coming on, right? So they are going to be pushing your Philadelphia's and your Georgia's and your Halifax's down. For the record, I don't know if you caught the first segment, but I'm voting Calgary as the best chance. I do think there's a good chance Dixon stays and there's a good chance that they can replenish. I think you're right about Halifax. I think you're right about Philadelphia. I have a little bit more faith in Albany with their young D and their young fantastic goaltending that they could take a step forward and be a team that's right there. But um, I do agree there. There's teams that are, there's teams that are coming on and it's only going to get tougher from here. All right, boys, the time has come. It's time for lax class locks. It's locked. locks i almost just wanted to keep letting that thing play money money not only did our combo parlay come through for the peoples this past weekend fellas but yours truly also his personal parlay deposited into the bank account the pockets are overflowing of the people right now with jumbo bucks couple of caches here as uh, what did you say, Brad? You told me that Graham Perot followed along and and made up for his entire season on last weekend's parlay. That's right. I want to find I want to find the tweet that he banged out, but he played the parlay and made up for an entire season of dismalness or something like that. I don't know, but these parlays do pay. <laughs> We're up. We're definitely up as far as the entire seasons go and if you haven't checked it out yet uh there's only two games this weekend so what we've decided to do is evan will take the two money lines brad will take the two handicaps i will take the two over unders it's pretty obvious coming off of last weekend who you guys should listen to if you're only going to select one of these three options um but i still got more wins than you this that's year. not the point right now evans but <laughs> what i'm saying is here is that don't just pinhole yourself on these check out the the series options that they have on cool bet now they have head-to-head prop bets season long or series long prop bets there's all sorts of stuff there on cool bet now and of course you still got nba playoffs nhl playoffs baseball's in full swing lots of things to sprinkle around on on cool bet so if you haven't signed up yet shame on you do not waste any more time go to coolbet.com up in that top left corner, after you sign up and register, it takes about a minute and a half. Before you deposit, use the bonus code LAXCLASS, and they match you up to $200 of free money. Put in 200 you get 200 Put in 20 you get 20 Why not take advantage of it? Bonus code LAXCLASS, coolbet.com. Stay cool. Bet responsibly. Who wants to go first? Well, I'll tell you what, before we get into that, all those prop bets, which ones look juicy to you? Well, I, man, I, I look at these and I like the, the whole like Westberg against Zed Williams. Who's going to score more goals? Dane Doby or Connor Robinson? I, I'm liking these, but then you can also do 
like, will Westberg have over six and a half points in this series? So if it goes three games, I would think that's an absolute lock. If it only goes two, then might be a little dicey. So I like them all. But if I'm if you had to narrow it down for me here, I like that one at the top, Westberg, Zed Williams, who's getting more goals. Uh, I'm taking Westberg if, if we're counting our chickens here. How about you? You know what? There's a couple that just don't make sense to me. And here's one for you. If you were to take Colorado to sweep, it's a plus 475. Okay. Right? I mean, and even if you just want to take Colorado to win, win, up, win the series, it's still plus 165. I think they're the favorite, right? Not, so well, that's starting in I, San Diego, Evan, just in case you didn't know. I know. All but right. you know what? It's uh, There's one team that I think is just, you know, the, the better second half. And I think the algorithm's looking at, past history between these two teams not what have you done for me lately but uh yeah there's uh well the other thing that i've come to learn here doing lax class locks throughout the season is that the bookmakers are pretty damn good at doing their job evan so yeah keep that in mind as well but here's another one for you challen rogers over under three and a half goals in this series Mm. to me that's an easy over Okay. Well, there's a little side hustle for you. Let's get into this, though. Brad, you go first. Two handicaps. Buffalo, Toronto. San Diego, Colorado. Who you got? I'm going to take, like Evan said, I, I don't know how or why or how anyone sees the Colorado Mammoth as underdogs heading into the series. Yes, it's the one seed versus the three seed, but they tied with identical records in the regular season. Colorado's got a ridiculous home record. They finally got the road monkey off their back last weekend and have unsurped the roughnecks for the first time. And since 2006, you know, I think this, all the momentum is rolling the way of the mammoth right now. And so to take the mammoth at a plus 1.5 to me seems, how could you not? Like it's just hanging right there. That is silliness. So I'm, I'm all over that. And then this Toronto rock Buffalo series, I think it's going to be a lot tighter, but but mm. there's still some tastiness to be had here too. <laughs> I was so, say, but what, Brad? This but is a tough one on the, the bandits. Yeah. Bandits can bandits win by two. You're plus one fifty. So I think that is that's feasible. That's feasible. This, Empty this netter, series maybe, could yeah. go three. Toronto could win a couple games, but Buffalo on home floor to avenge their final regular season game loss. A two-goal win plays plus 150. Don't show yourself in Hamilton anytime soon, Shallon. Combo those two together. 20 wins is 69-37. So that's plus 347. That's a pretty good number for a playoff game. Okay. Evan, money lines. Money lines. Well, like I said before, I like the Colorado Mammoth. I like them to sweep this series. So at a plus 137, it just doesn't make sense. I take that every day. And as much as this is in bandit land, I'm thinking that there's going to be a few thousand, if not more Toronto rock fans in that building. You know, it's, it's what it's 30, 40 minutes between Hamilton and Buffalo. It's not far just because of the way things have gone lately. Give me the Toronto rock at minus one Oh three. That's a plus three sixty seven. Twenty 20 jumbo bucks pays you 93 42. Do not show yourself in bandit land anytime soon, Evan Schoenar. Uh 
Over-unders, I think this is pretty simple here, fellas, and, and mine will get bumped up a little bit by the good folks at Cool Bet, so stay tuned as I won't have an exact total for you. But they have the line right now set at 23 in Buffalo and Toronto. We're talking Matt Vince and Nick Rose here. 23 seems very, very high to me. Hammer the under here, people. And then on the flip side, I know Dylan Ward and Frankie can put up good games and, and keep things low here. 21 and a half, the number sitting at right now on a Monday. I think we're going over in this game. So under in Buffalo, over in San Diego. I want to say this is going to be around a plus 300 when it's all said and done. So you're looking at what, Evan? You do the math on this for me. 20 at plus 300 will get you what? Around 100 bucks? 80 bucks. Okay, there you go. I was close. Uh, 80 bucks return. That's easy, easy, easy money right there. Stay cool. Bet responsibly. Hammer all three and, and see how I'm, you know, that, that might be the, the way to go there. One of those coming through for sure. Don't forget about those series and head-to-head prop bets as well. Bonus code Lax Glass. Get that in there. Fellas, another huge program for EP183. Thanks for being a part of it. To our fabulous sponsors, of course, Stampede Tack, Ridecore Construction, Associated Labels and Packaging, Cool Bet Canada, and of course, the new Westminster Salmon Bellies. Don't forget to subscribe and send down a review of the podcast and follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, email. Evan's at Shemlax, Brad is at Brad Shell. I'm at PXP for sports. To Andrew McBride and Steve Dietrich for coming on the program, a big thank you goes out to them. And, of course, to you, the loyal listener, for checking out Lax Class each and every week right here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. We're back with EP 184 in seven days' time. For Evan Sheminar and Brad Chellner, I've been Jake Kelly, and for the fastest game on two feet, for the creator, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay classified.